been international week this week. Uh, I asked uh, asked you, Dan, how much international football did you watch over the last week? And your answer wasn't that convincing, was it? Well, um, I, I, yeah, you're, you're totally right. Although I did turn on the England-Belgian game for about five minutes before the, the Grealish now gif that is going yeah. around the world and back, which was totally amazing. Well, yeah. And then maybe it's another thing for us to discuss generally, which is, you know, a player has one good game for England and suddenly he's a world beat. I'm not saying Grealish isn't because actually he looks great, but suddenly everyone's calling for Gareth to build their team around Grealish now all of a sudden. So, yeah, it's funny how, how that can happen. I must admit, I, I, I missed that. I watched the first half of the England game and uh, switched off at 2 0, but we'll, we'll get on to that actually a little bit later because international football, I think, probably does have a few issues with not really attracting the viewership and the fact that it's been going on during a global pandemic. Premier League had a record number of cases of, of coronavirus today. There's, there's probably a few few kind of issues to address with um, with international football. The, the one I think we wanted to touch on today was um, the issue of kind of player load. So we have this international break, having had a glut of Premier League, Champions League, EFL Cup, all kinds of games going on. Um, and obviously one of the headlines at the start of the international break was Joe Gomez um, having a, a knee injury that looks to put him out for quite a period of time. Um, and I want to get um, onto the the kind of legal implications, Dan, because there's been some reports around compensation and that kind of thing. Um, so obviously Gomez pay is employed by Liverpool, effectively loaned out to England. So what's the kind of fallout from that for both um, FIFA, Liverpool, the FA and so on? It's a really interesting one and actually does have quite a lot of angles to it. But if we, if we take uh, one of Gomez's... Um, uh, club um, colleagues, um, Mo Salah, I mean, it was reported a few days ago, at least that, you know, whilst on he was international duty with Egypt, I believe, then he, you know, he was filmed, I think, at his brother's wedding in pretty close proximity to everyone. And now it turns out that at least it's reported that he has COVID. So, you know, generally, uh, the international break, these are the type of, I think, situations that clubs and club managers, you know, hate in a way because even more so in COVID times because they're completely out of control. There's pictures, I think, of, uh, I think it was Obama Young um, mm-hmm. in, in his, in, is he, does he play for, uh, yeah, yeah, about the, the, and the whole team just sleeping on the floor of a, an airport because their hotel wasn't available or whatever else it might have been. So, you know, and anyway, that was just something that I came across on Twitter yesterday, but I digress, um, only because, you know, what we've seen then in the last few days, obviously Liverpool's injury worries are combat- compounded and, you know, I can make a general disclaimer that both of us are Liverpool fans. So seeing Van Dijk sidelined for a long time and then Gomez probably for the vast majority of the season, I think then everybody's thoughts obviously turned to Liverpool's title challenge, but then secondly, I guess, or thirdly, to the sort of financial implications of that. And the, the sort of general debate about compensation for injuries incurred or occur when uh, players on international duty has actually been quite a long, drawn-out saga. The, if I remember correctly, I think it was after um, Robin, um, in the Aaron Robin, um, when he was at Bayern Munich in the 2010 World Cup, I think he more or less did himself quite a bad injury in one of the first games for Holland. And but continued playing on against the wishes of Munich and the, the club doctors for, for Holland during that tournament. And it's only because I've just got the quote up here, I found it really interesting that uh, Rummenigge at the time said, 
about um, uh, about Robin. When you hire a car, you have to bring it back in a decent state. <laughs> Robin was taken from us and put back in the garage as a wreck. Once again, we must pay the bill as a club after a player is seriously injured playing for a national team. And I thought that was actually, you know, an interesting metaphor, but more or less served the right purpose, which was, you know, FIFA, I believe it was around 2012, had to put, the, had to put in place effectively a programme called the FIFA Club Protection Programme. And prior to that, there was no overarching FIFA insurance plan, no policy, no compensation for clubs whose players were um, called up and basically injured on international duty. And just to give a couple of examples, we talk about Gomez, um, Jack Butland, if I remember correctly, in mm. 2000, whatever, 16, 17, he broke his ankle when against Germany when England were, were playing them. Stoke, who at the time in the Premier League, were able to claim a pretty handsome insurance payout to cover um, his wages and medical care for the for the period the same with Seamus Coleman I believe when he did obviously quite a bad injury as well and we can talk about some of the, the detail in a second but you know the and I'm certainly not a, um, uh, an insurance expert but the, the basis of the, the cover it seems to be from the FIFA documents were that um, after a 28 day paid excess a 28 day period excess amount meaning the club can't receive compensation for the first month and um, the maximum wage um, payout is still a healthy £143,000 a week, uh, which would cover most players, and that covers limited to one year. So the maximum payout per player for the maximum period of one year um, is around um, £700, uh, sorry, £7.5 million, pounds, which is obviously a significant amount of money. Um, now, it's likely, I guess, I'm not quite sure Gomez will be on quite that um, amount of money, but even if he's on, let's just say, half of that, around £70,000 a week, it means that Liverpool are going to get the best part of, might well be three or four million pounds um, cover as a result. Now, it's only available for the one year, but again, um, that's at least some comfort, uh, bearing in mind now, I guess, I could be completely wrong, uh, Liverpool might have to um, accelerate their transfer plans to possibly buy um, a centre-back um, in the window. Maybe, Omar, we can have another Dan and Omar session on um, who, should, who should Liverpool be uh, targeting in the, in the January window, but we can maybe save that for another day. Save that for January, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one um, because like, if you take every other sport, pretty much every other te European team sport, the national game is the pinnacle of the game and... and so you take cricket, for example, English cricketers are centrally contracted. I think rugby, um, you know, they're contracted by England rugby, uh, I think I'm right in saying. Um, so the only football is this kind of weird relationship where actually the national team is almost subservient to, to the club game. Um, and I suppose what, what would the view from a club be on on that compensation piece? Is it like it's, it's all we can get or because presumably Liverpool would much rather have have the money uh, and or, or be paying Gomez's wages and have the player fit rather than uh, rather than having to have this injured player on the sideline and, and the costs that come with that, you know, beyond his, his salary. Yeah, it's certainly better than nothing. The interesting bit is, is that, that, that that policy, the FIFA policy, won't cover for all the variable elements. So, for example, if he had played the particular bonuses, other types of um, contractual entitlements over and above what his basic guaranteed salary would be now there's probably a slightly wider piece as well which is it, it might be that liverpool insure over and above 
what the FIFA amount might be. I don't know what Liverpool's policy might be uh, in regard to that. Yeah, I think the basic position is um, players need to be careful at the same time of ensuring themselves against either career-ending injury or long-term injury where they won't be receiving a large part of their contract. And, you know, there are insurance policies available for that type of thing. Yeah, there's a a couple of good stories around... um... Again, you talking about how the industry's evolved, actually in quite a short period of time from 2012 around uh, the compensation for players. I think, you know, clubs have been insuring players for a little period of time now. And I think there's been quite a lot of evolution in that in that space. There's previously clubs used to have very kind of blanket policies on, on their players. But nowadays they have very kind of specific policies that are that are very specific to, um, to individual players. So I think it's become a lot more sophisticated um, that space and I'm sure. Uh, a lot more, a lot more work for for lawyers like yourself as well. To, yeah. well to get it let, right. me, let me ask you, seeing as my it just because my if my reception is still pretty bad and your reception looks like it's very good, if we pivot away from well at least the international dimension to the sort of player load question, because obviously a lot of managers and coaches and fans have you know really um, seen a dramatic number rise at least of injuries, definitely in the. Premier League, forty-seven percent at least it was a few yeah. weeks ago of muscular injuries, etc. Debates around five subs, three subs, whatever else it might be. Um, what sort of themes and um, uh, trends are you seeing in the player load space, especially where it seems like there are games that are going on every night at the moment? And you know, we're looking at you know player load. I think we were talking about viewership load issues in a way from watching so much football. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're, we're case in point, right, from not watching, from taking a week off from, from international football. Um, yeah, I mean, it's unquestionable that, that players are playing a lot more. And it, there's almost a little bit of an issue here of, um, you know, clubs have the ability to rest their players, they have the ability to rest and rotate their players. Um, but the issue is they don't know if their opponents are going to be resting and rotating their players. And so they they feel like they have to play their, their um, full-strength team every single game. And we see you know, all, all the top teams uh, at the moment are playing pretty much their, their strongest teams in, in all the games. Um, and that's, um, you know, just the nature of these coaches who, who want to win every single match and every single competition. You know, even in even in EFL Cup games, you're, you're often getting, getting, I mean, look at Spurs, for example, playing pretty strong teams in the Europa League and seeing that seeing their backup team lose um, to who's in Belgium a couple of weeks ago, you know, was kind of a marker of, well, we don't want to play play that team as much anymore. So suddenly putting even more load on on the top players. Um, so that's that's kind of part of the issue is that no one wants to rotate, even though there is the option to, and, and clubs have big enough squads now and, and great academies and so on. And then obviously the, that other big debate is is around the, um, the five subs. So um, I think Klopp uh, and Guardiola came out after that Liverpool City game a couple of weeks ago talking about, um, you know the, the injured players on either team, and, and the fact that um, you know the Premier League decided not to vote through five substitutes. It, it's it's an issue that's kind of caused a lot of debate, not just amongst clubs but also fans. And I think it's it's quite an interesting one. So the the big premise or the big argument against having five subs is that it um, favours essentially wealthier teams or bigger teams um, in the league. As, as someone coming at it analytically, as as we do, um, our view as a as a business, certainly my view, um, is that it doesn't necessarily favour uh, the bigger teams. It's it's something that's um, perhaps overstated in that respect. Uh, and so one of our one of our data scientists, our senior data scientist uh, on the football side, Sophie Tomlinson, wrote a really good blog back in 
back in May, which looked at the implications of um, having a couple of extra subs uh, in the Premier League. Uh, and our analysis of it was that the it wasn't necessarily the bigger teams that benefit from having extra subs. It's actually the teams that have better benches relative to their first team. So, so the easiest way to think about this, or the easiest way that I think about this, is that imagine you've got um, two teams playing each other. One of them is a team that has uh, players that are, uh, I don't know, nine out of ten. So they're starting 11s and nine out of tens, and they're playing a team that has starting 11s of six out of tens. Now, imagine you take out one of the nine out of tens, uh, and then you sub in uh, a player who's a seven out of ten. So an example of that last season might have been Liverpool subbing out um, I don't know, Salah for, for Divock Origi, for example. And let's say they're playing, uh, I don't know, a Crystal Palace, uh, whose teams are majority six out of ten players. And their substitute is a five out of ten, and they bring on at the same time. So uh, I don't know what a good example would be, but maybe a Christian Benteke coming on for, for a, uh, an IU up front, for example. Um, now, Liverpool's sub is still, so Origi is still better than Benteke, um, but the relative gap between the teams actually shrunk because you're downgrading Liverpool more than you're downgrading um, Crystal Palace. And it actually goes into how squads are kind of composed, basically. So a club like West Ham actually have quite a good, or have had historically quite a good subs bench. Um, they've obviously spent a lot of money, so they've got a lot of kind of depth that's kind of spread into the squad. Whereas a Liverpool or a Wolves or a Sheffield United historically have invested a lot more in their starting eleven. Liverpool have probably pivoted that a little bit this season. Um, so the the analytical answer is um, it doesn't necessarily favour big teams, and you also see that you know the big teams don't necessarily make more substitutions and smaller teams as well, which I think is an important point to note. Um, the question for me, actually, and I'm, despite um, holding the view that it doesn't favour the big team, I, I'm still quite anti five subs from a general football point of view. From a player load point of view, it's potentially a different question. But from a from a sporting integrity point of view, I, I'm not super keen on the idea of a match starting with, let's say, 20 outfield players and almost half of those players uh, or half of those players potentially being different um, by full time. Um, to me, that uh, it almost feels like a different competition. I see that quite a lot in rugby um, nowadays. And I, 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 I don't know, it's something that I, I like the fact that players last the 90 minutes or have to last the 90 minutes. And that's part of the part of the sport. So, yeah, um, there's the analytical answer. And then there's also the kind of football uh, instinct answer, I suppose. So, uh, just another question then I had for you was, you know, two things. Firstly, you know, with the extra subs, it obviously breaks the game significantly more. Um, and that, that, um, that ebb and flow of the game is different. The other thing that I found interesting was, was for example, when Klopp and Guardiola were talking about substituting um, players and wanting the extra substitutes, that in a way, on quite a few of the games, Guardiola's actually only made one sub. At times, Klopp's only made one or two subs in particular matches. Now, the way that I was thinking about it, at least for Klopp, not arguing that he wanted five, was that maybe you would wait until quite late in the game sub you would use in case of an injury and you obviously didn't want to be down to 10 men for more of a significant period of time. But I, I, I have trouble with the argument that clubs should have five subs if in a lot of games they're actually only using one sub and then aren't that substitutes that they could otherwise have. It just seems a bit counterintuitive. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, um, yeah, 
if uh, if clubs aren't used, I think historically the um, the third sub is used something like um, seventy five to eighty percent of the time. So it's still not used a huge amount, and I think that's still the case uh, at the moment uh, in the Premier League. So teams aren't using their third sub all the time, and certain coaches almost never do. Uh, I think Roy Hodgson comes to mind, very rare user of his third sub. I think Mourinho, very rare user of his third sub. Um, good question from, from David Jacobs on, could it uh, be good for youth players getting an opportunity in the first team? Um, in theory, yes, but there's also an opportunity cost um, argument to be to be thought about where it comes to young players. So obviously the Premier League increased the bench last season to nine, I think it was. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's the case this season. Um, but if you've got a bigger bench and more, in theory, opportunities to sub in young players, you might decide to then keep that player within the first team instead of loaning them out. Um, and therefore, what you end up doing is they end up getting fewer minutes for, say, this, the parent club than they might otherwise get out on loan at, at, at a loan club. So that's that's the kind of tension that um, clubs have to think about. And, and, you know, there's all sorts of loan managers and, and sporting directors now who, who kind of have to think in depth about those things. But it can, what can seem like a good opportunity for young players actually might not necessarily turn out to be one. And I think the the point there as well is, I, I guess, is for some of those younger players, just the opportunity to be able to um, be in the match day squad and match day experience is quite a an extra experience and um, you know positive. But I can completely understand that. I Meaning, sort of economics is almost called the counterfactual, isn't it? Is that w- if it hadn't been for those extra sub slots? would that player be somewhere else having more minutes and gaining greater experience in any event? Yeah. And obviously there's, there's a lot of um, discussion at the moment around the, these injuries and, um, uh, and the, the challenges that that players um, face at the moment. I, I suppose one of the, the kind of key things that players are thinking about is there is a longer term career um, and, and the kind of implications of, uh, of getting injuries. Do, do you see any kind of fallout from this season at the moment? Because we are going to see a lot of injuries from the, the game, the way the games are congested. And what, what sort of powers do players have to resist some of the changes? Because at the moment, they're just kind of employees of the club. And if the club wants to play them, they, they kind of have to play. Well, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Um... Because I think partly, you know, you look at someone like De Bruyne, for example, and the, his his load, you know, you, you know better than I, Omar, that um, the um, player welfare player stats, um, the, um, the load that can be measured across the different data devices um, is pretty significant. So the players and the clubs will definitely know about when or otherwise they're hitting their red zones now if if those injury red zones are to a degree um as a result of playing too often training too much or otherwise you know you'll know better than i and i don't want to put you on the spot i don't know is the answer about you know whether this season um is a, a complete outlier because of a truncated preseason, a um a, an extended last post season a shorter rest period in between and whether it is the intensity or otherwise of not being in front of fans I, I you know I'm not I'm not entirely sure so um 
I, you know, from a player welfare perspective, you know, I, I can only speak for whenever I speak, talk with players and um, their teams around them generally is they're just happy to play football is the truth. I know it sounds like a really basic, simple suggestion. And obviously, they, you know, the, the, uh, the analytics and stats guys will obviously tell them a particular loads are getting into extreme situations. But, mm. you know, a lot of the um, a lot of the reason Klopp would have argued his he uh, his sort of success of those rotation of those middle three midfielders who cover a lot of ground is because they have to rotate because of the physical load that attaches to those running positions. Whereas you don't need to obviously, I'm, t- I'm telling you to suck eggs now. You don't obviously need to quite um, rotate centre backs as much um, or a goalkeeper or other players as a result. So I'm I'm just fascinated to try and understand how. Um, and why there, there has been this increase in injury rate, whether it's actually um, either managers feeling they need to get a very good start to the season and not mm-hmm. rotating as much, whether it's all in the preparation, whether it's the intensity or otherwise of the matches. Do, do you have any sort of initial feel points as yet? Yeah, it's kind of a perfect storm of factors, I think, at the moment with with, uh, with what you said around a shortened pre-season and and then the, the you know no competition was willing to give an inch you know the the EFL EFL cup was in a way you know the obvious potential casualty of of the calendar because you know we're we're the only country i think that has a, a league cup france has scrapped its league cup so we're the only country now with, with a league cup so could have been an obvious one to go but you know the 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 EFL cup also brings in a lot of tv revenue for the EFL so it's you know, it has to stay on the calendar for for the sake of the EFL teams. And you look at what else can go. Well, the FA Cup's not going to go. I think we might have scrapped replays this year, but I'm not certain. You know, obviously the European competition is going to stay. So no one was willing to give an inch. That means it is weekend midweek, weekend midweek for every single club, regardless of, of what level you're at. And when it comes to when it comes to assessing injuries, you know, clubs have access to all kinds of sports science medical information now. Um, but I think a lot would be willing to admit that it's as much art as science when it comes to predicting injuries. You know, there's so much data, but injuries are so random. Um, it's a bit like, you know, predicting, I don't know, a player when he's stepping up to take a penalty. You know, you think he's going to score, but he might miss. And you're not really sure when it's going to happen. And it's a bit like that with injuries. You know, a player might be hitting a certain red zone, but you know, sometimes he gets through it fine. Sometimes he, he doesn't. Um, and, and because... When we've when I've seen injury data before, you know teams have injuries during a season, but it's not like hundreds that you can begin to create models that predict them. You know, it's in the it's in maybe a couple of dozen, uh, and so that couple of dozen could be impact, it could be load, it could be you know, sprinting too quick, it could be any number of factors. And so I think you know clubs are pushing, having to push their players, you know, for the, for the reasons we discussed around they want to win every game, they want to compete for, for all the trophies and that's um, that's causing, that's causing these pressures and I, I'm sure, you know, we've not got, we've not got a winter break this season, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with, like, for example, Bundesliga teams that do have a winter break, I assume this season it will be a shortened one. I'm sure they will be in a very good position when it comes to the Champions League knockout stages. Just one more point then for you, um, and again, sorry to put you on the spot, but it sort of got me thinking in terms of when you were sort of um, explaining really nicely about the the five sub rule and why it actually doesn't necessarily benefit um, the the bigger clubs, which is 
um you know when when we're talking about um i completely lost the chain of what i was going to say <laughs> have me for a second it was when we were talking about um you know a competitive balance that's what i was going into mm. when we're talking about then injuries taking their toll as a result and then the deeper squads being uh, needed in order to be able to to cope mm. you know if if injuries are occurring to the top clubs and some of the top players in those clubs does that effectively equalize the playing field to a degree and if it does does that mean that actually um we're more likely to see um a closer title race a closer race for um top european positions and, and vice versa yeah i think i think that could very well be the case um you know th these teams competing in the ucc uh competitive uf competitions um you know competing you know with intensity in premier league matches can't really rest players you know if you're if you're a bottom half team if you're i don't know burnley and you've got chelsea away on the weekend you might decide you want to rest players for that game whereas you know man city are they really going to risk it if you look at the points totals that won premier league titles over the last few years are they really going to risk rest, resting players at burnley away or burnley at home um so i think there is a potential um, that it might. I mean, we're already seeing this season. It, the league table feels kind of upside down to a degree, um, and in a way, that's that's a good thing. That's kind of that's what what keeps entertaining. So, could well be the case. Um, a couple of I just noticed a couple of questions here here on the on the screen. So, um, do you think the later stages um, of the Premier League and Championship, the five subs will be much more needed, factoring the load of the games? I think. One of the issues you have, particularly if you implemented that in the Premier League, is kind of a sporting integrity issue. Because if I don't know, Liverpool had didn't have access to five subs at Man City away, or Man City didn't have access to five subs against Liverpool at home, but then did in the away game, there's a bit of a kind of imbalance there. Um, but I think it's to me, it feels unlikely that they'd implement the rule. I think that's maybe slightly different with the Champions League if we got to knockout stage. I mean, in the same way that we had it, I guess, last year to a degree. Uh, although I suppose in the Premier League we did as well, but it was kind of exceptional circumstances. Um, so I think there'll be a reluctance on on that ground, even if the effect isn't huge. The perception of the effect, I think, might be. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think it would be difficult to be able to implement a, a rule change which has potentially significant um, on-field performance-related matters. It's sort of that that sort of becomes a bit of a yeah a bit of an issue although to be fair i mean i know maybe we're going completely off topic here but you know the the um stockley park's new interpretation of the handball rule for var decisions mm -hmm. that is that's a change to what was previous supposedly what was previously the case even though query how consistent that's been in the last couple of weeks so um you know in a way everything is relative isn't it <laughs> yeah it's like playing monopoly and changing the rules as you go along like everyone kind of just goes with it <laughs> just uh, just so it's better for everyone so that might be might be the outcome um we're at half past mate it's flown by you. it's probably been better that my reception hasn't been good so you haven't had to listen to my drone for longer than usual that's right well we'll edit out on the podcast it'll be seamless <laughs> Wicked Wool. Um, yeah, for everybody either watching live or otherwise um, on the YouTube or on the podcast, thanks very much for, for joining as always. Omar, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you and um, follow you, etc. as usual? Yeah, 
uh, at Omar Chowdhury on, on Twitter. Uh, feel free to connect with me on, on LinkedIn as well. Um, and yeah, obviously a lot of the, the content going out through through Dan's channels on, on the podcast and, and YouTube, LinkedIn and, and Twitter and Instagram. So um, yeah, uh, whenever you want to tune in, obviously go through Dan's channels. Hopefully we'll get some of your channels going as well soon. I think I, I'm getting a bit selfish of putting them on mine, but we'll, we'll make a change sooner or later, I promise. <laughs> Take care. Thanks, pal. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law. Read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundeal Football Podcast. Like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book, Dundeal, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers, and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally, and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research, and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.